0: The Digital Transition The Digital Transition A podcast series created to assist those tasked with implementing digital strategies where we will share our knowledge and experiences to support you in your transition. Welcome to the Digital Transition Podcast number 18. I'm your host, Nathan Hildebrandt, and today I'm talking with Tracy Burnham, a director, and Colleen Ingle-Mallon, an associate with Ryder-Levitt-Bucknell and their cost consultants. Today, we'll be discussing how BIM processes and technology have affected quantity surveyors and the potential benefits for asset owners. Thanks very much for taking the time to talk to us, ladies.
1: No problem, thank
0: you. Thank you. So for the listeners that aren't aware of who you are, can you share with us a little bit about yourself? And now, Tracy, we'll start off with you.
2: Uh, My name is Tracy Burnham. I'm a director at Rival of the I'm based in our Sydney office. I've been with RLB for over 15 years across three countries. I have a very traditional QS background. I've worked in uh, New Zealand, UK and now Australia. Um, I've worked across a variety of sectors including uh, major projects in education, commercial, residential and healthcare.
0: Now Colleen, yourself?
1: As mentioned, my name's Colleen. I am an associate at Ryder liver pocknell I specialize in the engineering services space. So engineering services is anything related to mechanical, electrical, hydraulic and fire. So pretty much anything that makes a building function or livable. It's really exciting stuff. I have 11 years industry experience across four different countries. I work in a multidisciplinary team here in Sydney across a spectrum of sectors such as infrastructure, job centres, commercial and residential amongst many others. Our common goal as a team is pretty much to find new innovative efficient ways of carrying out traditional tasks.
0: Both of you bring a broad experience in terms of the number of countries that you've both worked with and and I think that Brings a lot of, um, I guess, what could I say, a lot of, of knowledge to the conversation rather than just the in isolation here in Australia. In terms of the ability of understanding or kind of interpreting the opportunities that have occurred across the globe, in some ways, you both come from ryder levitt Bucknell. So Tracy, can you just give us a little bit of an explanation of um, who RLB are and the services that they currently provide? So RLB
2: are a global. Group, really. We have over 3,500 staff in 120 offices throughout Oceania, Asia, Europe, Middle East and the Americas. Um, we do have offices in all the major centres across Australia and New Zealand. Um, as a group, we are over 230 years old and we've been operating in New South Wales for over 70 years. Um, all our offices are locally owned and our directors have um, direct technical experience uh, whilst being part of the overall global group. Um, we provide cost management and quantity surveying services, um, advisory and project programming services across um, all sectors, including you know typical buildings, rail and infrastructure projects. So we get involved in both government and non-government projects anywhere from the initial conception and early feasibility right through to completion post-contracts, including tax and life cycle
0: costing. So that's a nice broad kind of spectrum of understanding, I guess, the role of a quantity surveyor now. It kind of leads quite well and nicely onto my next question. Has the role of the quantity surveyor uh, in project delivery changed that much in the last decade?
2: Uh, Yeah. So as I mentioned, we've been operating as a group for a pretty long time. We've seen the traditional QS role to reflect the market conditions, procurement, technology advances and the like. Essentially evolutionists pretty essential for the longevity of any profession, um, particularly in construction. And it's pretty intrinsic to what we do, particularly in our business. There's rising global construction demand, tight programs and increasing labour shortages. And so we've had to adapt. In the last decade, particularly, we've seen significant advances in technology that have huge influences on construction, methodology, health and safety, culture and working practices. And it's also had a pretty significant impact on the design and planning. It's, pretty safe to say that the days of seeing PQS producing a full bill of quantity for every project are long gone. But as I see it's our role at the QS being a key trusted advisor still remains the same. Essentially, it's the methodology that we use to achieve the deliverables that has changed and that is a direct result of the digital advances that we're seeing. More and more these days, there's pretty significant financial commitments made earlier and earlier in project life and so our involvement as the QS in the project from the outset is even more important to ensure you've got robust planning and budgeting so that essentially the key stakeholders and clients can actually get the best value. We are investing heavily in technology. So we have our own cost planning software and it's got dedicated BIM capabilities and there are many versions of it out in the marketplace but we've chosen to go down this path and since like that software allows us to be more responsive to client needs and work collaboratively particularly with the other disciplines. And so, for us, we work on an open platform because we don't want to limit ourselves to one group of designers or one specific software. So, we've also taken the approach of taking a, uh, having a global digital advancement committee uh, with more local regional committees and champions. So, we promote the continuous improvement around technology, which is becoming more and more important in what we do. So we're also looking at other technologies that can really supplement what we do, including AI, um, augmented and virtual reality, drone technology, scripts, dashboard and software. It's all stuff that would never have been even thought about not so many years ago. So really being agile is pretty essential for any QS and this tradition.
0: You know, you talked about the the challenges that the projects now have with, you know, essentially lending agencies wanting greater certainty earlier in the project. Now, technology doesn't directly change the deliverable of, of, of a quantity surveyor essentially you're still providing an estimation service or or you know a measurement service of 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 a of a design of a building now over the last 20 years obviously there's been significant changes in technology and and you can and obviously talking about the tools that you have been using have has substantially changed the Australian Standard Method of Measurement of Building Works was released back in March 2016. You know, does it actually take into any consideration technology advantages or advances and any of the model-based measurement or is it still just purely based upon traditional uh, measurement methodologies?
2: Um, yeah, the short answer to that is no. It doesn't make specific uh, mention of them. Um, so Standard Method of Measurement of 6 has um, actually been succeeded now, and so it's the AIQS and NZIQS have both collaborated to produce something that works across both countries, and that's recognising the way that clients and the and the world is working now. So that was released in 2018. So the standard method of measurement still defines itself as a guide to uniform basis of the method of measurement for building works, and essentially it's providing rules for description, presentation, and calculation of quantities for the purpose of pricing. So it doesn't make specific reference to digital models. It still just refers to documentation, which will effectively become your contract documentation. So we all know now that your your documentation has moved on, potentially, from a 2D um, aspect to the 3D world, but it's still keeping itself broad enough so that it's flexible to go across whatever the project's actually demanding. So to actually recognise that the AI2S have published a book called the Detailed Measurements, Detailed Building Measurement in 2014, and essentially it's acknowledging that it's excellent measurement skills are still really important, even with the existence of the automated quantity extraction from models. Um, the book highlights the fact that basically the information produced automatically will only ever be as good as what is entered, and it's also acknowledging that a lot of measurement these days, it's not actually for a bill of quantities. Um, consistency and standardisation in your measurement process is still important and that allows you to actually um, benchmark and allows for consistent understanding of what the quantities mean across the industry. So there is still a pretty common misconception that a bill of one can be produced at a click of a button from a model but it's actually the reliability and the confidence in the information that's produced that is still pretty questionable. Um, as part of a more traditional method of measuring, like um, for a bill of quantities, there were pretty there were intrinsic checks and balances that you would typically carry out during that process that just aren't done um, through an automatic quantity takeoff. Mm-hmm. So as a result, when you extract all this information and data, so effectively we have to become data analysts. So a thorough review and also the appropriate use of that data is what's required to give us the confidence in what is produced. So you can still comply with the standard method of measurement um, with extracted data because it's a set of rules and guidelines. So as always, come back to that, the the value on what we provide is not simply through measurement of drawn information. It's actually through the provision of allowances for what's not shown. Um, We sort of call that the gap analysis. And essentially, your budget needs to account for both what's drawn and what's not drawn. And that's very much the same for 2D documents, but also for the 3D model, because there are a set of rules around what they will and will not include. So really, it comes down to understanding the model. It's absolutely essential to understand the data that's extracted from the model to produce a reliable cost plan and bill. And a little controversially, I one of the things that I think is that basically... If we're all working collaboratively together, it would be a huge leap forward for everybody if the designers could understand and design to the standard method of measurement, which would then make the quantity extraction process much more reliable. But that's pretty uh, a pretty different way of thinking to the
1: traditional QS
0: role. Well, that does raise an interesting point, and from... My perspective, I want to try and keep this out of the uh, illicit uh, rankings in the podcast thing, so I won't use what I normally would use for words for this, but it's essentially (laughs) garbage in equals garbage out. And that's, I guess, another challenge for you is essentially, you know, in the past it's quite easy to identify uh, through a set of drawings uh, what's drawn and what's not drawn because you can kind of interpret reasonably well based upon looking across the whole spectrum and going, well, in, in these set of drawings, they're not drawing, you know, they haven't covered, you know, cornices or they haven't covered these trims and it becomes something that is reasonably consistent. But whereas in a model, it becomes a little bit harder to understand those sorts of things. And and I guess, you know, the overall thing that I think is always most important is, is that people having the belief that BIM will essentially, you know, remove the need for uh, experts in industry. Uh, but... You know, the the challenge is, is that the computers still aren't able to identify what is and isn't modelled. The computers no. are not capable of uh, providing the expertise of the quantity surveyor where you derive quantities and rates in terms of rates against the certain aspects of the building. Now, you know, AI can do some sorts of, you know, analysis, but through benchmarking and all that sort of stuff, things get better. But there's no way in the world a computer can provide the, the service or the, the expertise that a quantity surveyor does in that role.
2: Also, the other factors that would that influence the outcome of the project, including what's going on in the marketplace at the last, that doesn't come out at the push of a button.
0: Yeah, that's exactly right. It's a, It becomes a an awareness thing that computers are going to struggle to learn because of the fact that you're having conversations with other people, you're understanding. Uh, things over and above what a database could actually ever pick up. Obviously, I want to talk about the the opportunities and and the new risks because I think this is really important. So, you know, you've you've talked about already uh, the concepts of how the outcomes in terms of the method of measurement hasn't changed, but the technology has around it, which is is enabling or providing greater opportunities for chronic surveyors now. From my perspective, the other thing you talked about was around the consultant team providing a model that is suitable for quantity surveyors. And the biggest challenge that we have is that say whenever a, a BIM execution plan is delivered or an information or information requirements are produced for a client, the focus has purely been on two people in that supply chain, the focus has been on the contractor, so the contractor can build the built outcome and the focus has also been on the client for their facilities management. What do you think the importance or the value that could be brought if the quantity surveyor was brought into that conversation or we take a more global view here in Australia and suggest that maybe you know the ROQS or a number of uh, quantity surveying firms sit down at a table with the likes of Consult Australia with the engineers and the AIA from the architectural profession – and go, let's actually understand what information each of us require at each of these stages to produce these more reliable, ac- um, accurate um, estimates. Yes,
1: early involvement is absolutely fundamental for us as quantity surveyors. We often say here, in data we trust. Our involvement uh, early on allows consideration to be given to, like you've just said, what information is expected for each level of development, but also the base parameter requirements. Again, the method of measurement, like Tracy has previously discussed, but also other components such as project zoning. So if we take a very simple example of a light setting, let's say, Sydney Opera House, we're looking at it right now, uh, we have got the same type of light right up at the crown in the actual opera concert hall and the same type of life that's in the corridor. Now, if we go back to our bread and butter and the principles, we as quantities of air, we determine the cost of something by the quantity, but also by the material, by the plant, and by the labour. Now, if we are building up a cost of those two different, um, same life fittings, but in two different locations, they are going to be dramatically different because the plant that was required To actually install that light 25 metres above ground floor is very different. So if we're not involved from the outset, we can't explain. And it has to be a two-way conversation or it has to be a fully collaborative conversation to get an understanding of why we need something and what we do with it and when we need it and what our expectations are for different milestones subject to the execution plan. And we also have to be educated at our side to understand what the architects are going to produce, what the engineers are going to produce. So we are all working together on a common goal rather than, in some instance, in the 2D traditional world, working in our individual silos. So I think it's extremely important for us to be involved early.
0: Now, I guess I want to touch on, I guess, the opportunities that, that come from working in a BIM environment so that you know, representatives from asset owners can understand the benefits of actually, first of all, potentially requiring uh, BIM deliverables uh, throughout the project, but also identifying that there's benefits for engaging or including the estimation component uh, within their BIM deliverables or their BIM requirements. Now, there's lots of positives and negatives that can occur by working in a model-based workflow. And, you know, there's different, te- because of technology, some things are more automated and some things aren't. Colleen, what do you think the opportunities there are where quantity surveyors can actually uh, offer the project team additional benefits in a BIM process compared to the the more traditional 2D drawing measurement that and, and documentation measurement that you did in the past?
1: Yeah, there, there's some really obvious benefits, like greater efficiency and improved accuracy in our quantification takeoff process. Obviously, this is subject to the quality of the model and the robust model interrogation of the QA check. This efficiency allows us to have more time to market test a higher percentage of the project, which results in reduced risk and a truer representation of the current market at that given time. It also offers more time to benchmark the project to determine if it sits in the correct ballpark figure. You no, know, what and maybe where the cost drivers are. And this leads into cost auctioneering and design validation. This has to be done in tandem or collaboration, obviously with the engineers, really to work very heavily together to determine the optimum design solution. And again, try and and work with costing or designing to cost rather than costing just a simple design. But it also provides visualization Visual aids on the intrinsics of each trade, offering better understanding of not only how it looks but how the system works and the spatial properties. By helping the design team, this directly helps us complete our job much more efficiently. And the earlier the model is produced, the more clarity the whole team, the project team, will have, including the client. In my opinion. More consideration and the integrity of how we as a project team structure this data can eliminate the waste from the process, improving the efficiency and the cost savings. This also brings benefits in construction, but it also brings benefits to facility managers in the post completion, resulting in value for money for our clients, which is the name of the game. So, wrapping up, ultimately having richer. More structured information at our fingertips enables intelligent design decisions to be made in a much more streamlined fashion. And also, moving into the future, costs can be extrapolated and accurately known during all design stages, allowing us to determine real time cost updates, managing that and monitoring that cost. You know, these are the mean main opportunities that we have adopting a BIM processor is just not a reality using the 2D traditional methods.
0: Now, one of the things that I think that's really nice is a couple of years ago, I saw a specific vendor software, and I don't want to use brand names on here, but specifically, it's a model-based checking software. And the, the beauty of it was that in the 3D view of the model, you could easily observe differences between versions of models and it enabled the quantity surveyor to visualize and see uh, existing elements that were retained existing elements that were modified it it identified uh, existing elements that had been deleted so no longer a part of the new revision and also visualized new items that had been placed into the model so What it meant was is that the quantity surveyor then could only interact or only needed to interact with the changes that had occurred uh, within the model, rather than, you know, I know there is technology for PDF um, overlays at the moment in terms of identifying changes that have occurred in a PDF, but what that actually is done, you know, essentially within the supply chain, a client is paying for our time in the consulting world all they're paying for is our time now you know the amount of time it takes for you to you know identify the changes between between issues of drawings you know if that can be reduced you know we're talking about the ability then for the client to potentially be able to invest in your fee to be able to add greater value to the project to identify potential savings you know or identify areas where you can actually draw greater value out of the design. Is that something that you've been seeing with the changes of the technology?
2: Look, we've built it into our software that we use. So we've got a a very similar version comparison tool to what you talk about. And we've had that in the 2D space and now we've got it in the 3D space. So it does allow us to get that out and interpret it quickly. And it allows um, transparency across the team to see where the changes are so that we can, on behalf of the whole team, walk the client through it and say, this is the changes and this is the impact that it it'll have. But no, really, we're not, it, as I say, it's not really being specified in terms of methodology by the client.
0: Yeah, so they're focusing on the outcome. But I, I think in many ways, I think industry does, you know, and I talk about architects' role as well and, and, and the and the race to the bottom that seems to occur within the within the architectural profession. It occurs across, you know, all the consulting world and I think that you know, with the new technology and processes that that are coming out that reduce the amount of, you know, essentially, I'm not going to call it dumb time, but it's essentially Mm -hmm. low low rate time in terms of low return on on time versus the Mm -hmm. high rate return where by, you know, having someone sit down and actually review a project and be able to identify... Uh, major things that can impact on cost and adjust and, and, you know, essentially bring a project back on budget if, you know, or actually even, you know, by having more accuracy, it, it adjusts, you know, the, the contingency potentially that might be applied at certain phases.
2: So it's just one thing that we need to be aware of as a profession is that what you lose potentially through the change in methodology and I know that when I was learning, I certainly started using a scale rule you learn how a building put together by working through it methodically to measure a bill of quantities. And what we need to ensure is that that knowledge and that understanding of the building industry isn't lost in the newer ranks coming through, because that's essentially the knowledge that then you build through in your career to answer those really tough questions and to make those good guides. So what what I think we as an industry need to be conscious of is that we aren't losing that existing knowledge as it retires out of the industry. Um, but that we are passing it through down and, and in a really effective way and make sure so their newer generations are skilled in that knowledge because then they may not be picking it up in the way that we traditionally would have done.
0: And I think another key thing that BIM does highlight is within, I know, for example, the architectural profession, and I, I like digressing and getting a bit distracted when we start on a nice journey, but the, mm-hmm. the thing that BIM does highlight is, is that Architects need to physically, well sorry, virtually model what's getting built. Whereby, in the past, all they would do would be to resolve in 2D the detail or the section or the elevation that they're drawing. Whereas BIM actually highlights the need to actually build a virtual building accurately, which means that they it highlights the weaknesses in the construction knowledge of the architectural profession as as in their junior ranks, but. I'm hoping, and I don't know, you know, one day I'd love to sit down and, and, and watch over a quantity surveyor's shoulder and see how it all works. But but from my perspective, I'm hoping that having a model-based world and then having quantity surveyor's going out on site, you know, doing progress claim assessments and the like or variation assessments, they get to see the physical and the virtual and then they can tie it back together.
1: Yeah, Nathan, on behalf of the engineering services space, we have got juniors coming up the ranks that, even just walking through a mechanical system starting at the origin where the kit is, the reticulation of the ductwork and on what type of the supplier, returner, of uh, where the destination is, the the aid, the visual aid and the understanding of actually the how the system works has really helped some of our teams for those complex installations and then they go out on site is it's incredible for us for us anyway.
0: Well it's po- yeah, it's positive because You know, one of the things that I think about when working in a model-based environment, it's so much easier to understand a 3D physical image than it is to actually understand uh, what all these different symbols mean on a on a symbolic um, (laughs) services engineers drawing. Because you know, people uh, within the architectural profession that are performing the coordination check from that environment don't recognize that that actually means that it's a very very big valve set, for example. And yet it's a very small, small diagram on there. But once again, I've gotten very, very distracted getting excited about uh, opportunities and stuff. And we haven't even talked about the risks yet. And, and I, and it's kind of going a little bit further back, I guess, we've already kind of covered on the fact that, you know, within a model based environment it does open up opportunities for some new risks. And one of the key points that you made was in regards to consistency. Now, Consistency is key to achieving, you know, streamlined processes, and where we're actually going to see positive outcomes in the industry, where we're actually going to start to see efficiency. Now, one of the biggest risks that we have is consistency, and the AIQS and the NZIQS um, worked together to produce a, a document um, that was released last year that I actually pro- I actually produced some of the imagery for, and it was the Australian and New Zealand BIM Best Practices Guidelines. For the listeners that aren't quantity surveyors or aren't aren't in industry that haven't uh, seen this document before, what does the document cover uh, firstly? And then in your opinion, because I think that's an important thing, we're not going to say you're representing AIQS, but that's that's why I say it's in your opinion. (laughs) Um, Who do you think the intended audience is?
1: The guidelines are quite comprehensive. They they cover everything from the basic outline of them, then anticipated deliverables. And the principles of collaboration in in a BIM environment also covers the QS role in regards to the BIM execution plan, the information in the actual model, and the importance of actually understanding the extent and the limitations of the digital model, which is extremely important. Another component that is discussed is the process of interrogation and validation, which is critical for us, as we previously discussed. The document has been produced as a central guide for QSS, cost managers and cost estimators. However, I would see other professions really benefiting from the guidelines, as it's extremely important to have an understanding of other parties' drivers when working in a collaborative environment, particularly designers and the BIM managers, primarily due to the information deliverables and the model usage. In particular, I believe that Appendix B is quite useful. This is the key modelling principles. And this section outlines a number of key modelling principles that are essential for QA to understand, but also beneficial for the industry to be aware of.
0: It is an important document, I think, for model authors as well. And and I guess the biggest challenge is, is that, you know, similar to uh, the architectural profession, the, the quantity surveying profession is in its infancy in terms of moving forward and producing models that are suitable for estimation and as part of my involvement with the uh, ACA Queensland Northern Territory and the AIA Queensland BIM Task Force, uh, we did a digital capability survey um, across Australia of the, of the membership base from both organisations We found that a very minor percentage of only 1% of architects uh, had clients that actually required estimates using BIM processes. I do align that with the fact of the current capabilities of the architectural profession and secondly, the fact that currently there are no standards in place for the model authors to follow and we might see that that might change in the near future with the uh, involvement with Queensland and New South Wales and Victorian governments all now having some sort of BIM deliverable requirements as part of their projects. You know, RLB is a major quantity surveying practice and and I could almost use your organisation as a litmus test, you know, in terms of understanding what your current clients are expecting and, and whether or not in your, in your, within your business, you're actually starting to see clients ask for these requirements or, are they just basically taking a step back from it and they're just interested in, you know, understanding that estimates are provided uh, at each of the specific phases that are relevant to their their business model?
1: We are a global company and as QSs, we're pretty reactive to the industry that we're in. So, for example, majority of the projects in our London, Hong Kong and Singapore office are fully implementing the digital engineering uh, process. and are leading the way for us. So we here in Sydney get the benefit of learning from their projects and sharing their knowledge. We are seeing some great quality models, mainly in the structural and engineering services space. Mm -hmm. And I'm not sure of the exact percentage. However, I am aware that the adoption and the quality has dramatically increased over the last couple of years. Architecturally, it is a mixed bag. Some practices have adopted them as business as usual yep. at all stages. Others are maintaining a more traditional approach at earlier stages and not utilising design models until further down the design process and potentially until their fees fees are commissioned or confirmed. During two thousand nineteen, we had some incredible signature projects, and every t- every time we carry those projects out, we bring lessons learned forward and build a stronger relationship with various members of the design team. We're all aware that the adoption is heavily client-driven, mostly educated clients and or clients that are not maybe under pressure from a cost perspective, if they actually even existed. <laughs> Um But also it's project-driven. So does the scale or the sector or the complexity of the project really merge a digital engineering process? It's also very important to consider, is the client maintaining the possession of the asset? Mm
0: -hmm.
1: You know, additionally, as previously mentioned, the quality of the models we are receiving. In the engineering services space, we are receiving, I'd like to say, in around LOD 200. Obviously, different trades can be at different levels of development. But the continuation of the BIM models from the engineers passed across the fence to the subcontractors or the main contractors is probably not happening as readily as it should. And I, I think that's important to add in, in in answering this question. And I think that is heavily driven by the procurement strategy and the preference of d and in our industry at the moment.
0: So you're seeing a mixed response from the profession, from the authors, and I guess because of the scale of your organisation and the size of projects that you're working on, you're probably more so seeing some of these clients uh, adopting BIM to potentially reduce risk. Tracy, what do you think? What do you think that there's such a low level of adoption on on these on other projects? Is it, is it because of the the quality of models that are being produced by the authors or is it because of the client not being, having an awareness of what potentials there are?
2: Yeah, look, there's a few different things there. Um, as Colin mentioned, it's sort of driven by the client and the, the project specifically. So, and as we've mentioned, you know, the clients can ask for a deliverable, the methodology which they use to get there not necessarily specified, so the adoption of them in those scenarios is really at the discretion of the designers themselves. Um, one other reason, or a couple of other reasons really, is around cost. So, if there's additional costs from the design team to utilise them, particularly in the early stages of a project, it obviously can increase the early committed costs of a potential project. So, really, it depends on the on the likelihood of the project proceeding um, and how it's going to proceed. So, for example, if you've got a site the developer's is looking at and they're going to get a CA and sell it, then the effort just to take a quality model and have it right from the beginning is not there. And it's just not a priority for a developer. So that's where we talk about being project-driven. It's just not going to happen in that scenario. Similarly, if they're not a long-term asset holder, then... There is little benefit to the developer to write into their contracts with consultants, but also the construction contract to ensure that the model is developed up at a certain level or quality, has certain information in it throughout the design process and then at the transition to construction to make sure that the information in it is then maintained at a certain level throughout the construction for eventual handover to facilities management they're not holding on to that asset, then it's simply adding to the cost of the development and, again, probably not a priority. So really where it's the sort of drivers are coming from is a long-term asset holder, so potentially government or non-government, but really it's got to be in the interest of those that are long-term asset holders that have an interest in realising the full benefit of a detailed model through both design, planning, construction and particularly operation phases. So that's really where it's going to come from. Um, As I mentioned before, really we're seeing it and it's good about educating the clients to understand is there a big cost difference from them specifying certain things into their consultant briefs from the beginning so that there is consistency between the disciplines so that they at least have the opportunity to add that as part of the value to their project if they are selling it on, that it's, it's in a certain state digitally Because I think it is becoming more and more important and people who are long-term asset holders are starting to realise that there are benefits to having this information and if you don't have it, you know, the process to pay for the creation of the design documents has already been done. So really... If you're not getting it from the outset, you're just simply repaying to have it recreated. And in situations where requirements aren't being prescribed to the design team, I know that there are situations where contractors are just essentially throwing it out and starting again game because it doesn't meet what they need and what they're using it for because a lot of the contractors have already realized those benefits and efficiencies that they can gain from the digital um, environment.
0: So it's an interesting point that you make in regards to the developer and the concepts of not seeing the value directly at that stage and, and the other challenges of if there's this up additional upfront cost and they don't have that interest in getting the thing across the line. I personally believe that over time, industry will start to see value in having this information available to them and it will actually get to a point where a developer that sells a development as a physical asset with unstructured data or very little data will have a certain value and then the developer that sells the physical asset with a fully integrated CAFM system will draw even greater value. So it's going to be that kind of – it'll be a tipping point where people start to understand the value of that, where I think that that might change. Maybe maybe that's actually essentially the overall kind of tipping point for industry overall where asset owners start to understand the cost benefits – of all of this information for them to actually do it. It's it's not industry related at all. The industry has nothing to do with whether or not people are going to adopt it because industry, as you said, you know, as an organization, RLB are adopting or adapting as as the clients require you to. So therefore industry will adapt in response to clients' needs, right? So therefore I put this proposition forward that the day that asset owners value information, developers, property developers value information, therefore industry will then change rather than the other way around.
2: Well, I agree. It, it's about demand essentially and you you can see a similar example of that in green star ratings of
1: buildings.
2: Essentially tenants, particularly government tenants, demand a certain level of green star rating they as well and therefore you supply to that smart and that'll be... The same with um, the digital model. If you get demand for it and it becomes the minimum expectation of what you provide as part of a fully documented building, then it will happen. But I think it will happen that way and it will be demand through it.
0: It's an interesting point to end on, I think, and a perfect way to conclude our discussion today. So, Tracy and Colleen, thanks very much for taking the time to talk with me today and discussing how BIM processes and technology has affected the quantity surveyor's profession and obviously the potential benefits for asset owners. So I have one final question, uh, one for each of you, and it's gonna be the same question, but it's one that I ask all of my guests. Tracy, first of all, what does BIM mean to you?
2: I see BIM, for the QS, as allowing us to really focus on adding value to the project, to the client as a whole, really. Moving away from your sort of traditional time, spent measuring, quantities, and moving towards the digital extraction from the model, it really allows us to focus on interrogating the project, analysing pricing, looking at the overall scope, looking at market conditions and other influencing factors. As an aside to that, I also see them as a, in a great event, as an opportunity for us as an industry to improve understanding of and communication of the design and, and what will be the final output to the stakeholders and the users well in advance of actual construction. Um, not everyone's skilled in reading plans and so the 3D environment gives you a huge opportunity to, to explain what is going to be produced. With the side effects of that is to minimise late design changes, reduce rework and essentially reduce waste. A virtual walkthrough of a, of a model can reduce the need and requirement for prototypes to be physically built. Which, if they don't need to be built, saves money, saves time, saves the materials that go into that. I mean, and it also represents a huge opportunity for the operational efficiencies and the environmental benefits that can go along with understanding and monitoring a, a building in that digital environment, and that's all part of a bigger picture.
0: Yeah, I often think about the uh, the big protests that happened the other week, and how mm. they've completely forgotten about BIM at the AIA. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense to them, and I think that's actually the one response to actually how. Uh, industry can actually address the uh, environmental sustainability issues because you can, you know, essentially digitally test uh, a built outcome before it happens. Now, Colleen, uh, finally, with you, what does BIM mean to you?
1: Other than the obvious acronym, you know, the the the, the production of the models, the process used to create the models then information modelling information management, the strategy actually used to manage the model, or I really liked um, your note, Nathan, in the first episode, better information management. But levering off what Tracy had said, for us as QSs, BIM is all about that rich, intelligent, structured, standardized information. It's about building confidence. It's about filling the gaps It's about trusting our capabilities and in our quantities and ultimately building trust in the model itself. And this is all tied together and combined with heavy collaboration.
0: Well, thanks once again, Tracy and Colleen, for your time. Now, for more information on both ladies, uh, RLB and the AIQS BIM Best Practices Guidelines, please head to our website to find links for further reading. I look forward to sharing our next podcast in a fortnight's time. Until then, good luck with your digital transition. For more information, or if you'd like to continue the discussion in the comments section, head over to our website, thedigitaltransition.com. Remember to subscribe so you don't miss out on our future podcasts. Digital Transition